coming up next on Rewind, Recap, Relive. Being the third man in the ring for all those unbelievable matches and main event matches and WrestleMania matches, as a referee, you never got to tell your story. We have so much more going on than even the wrestlers. Like, they have their match to think of. Instead, we have to hear these people just yelling in our ear. They're asking you 50 million f***ing questions, and then you can't answer them. So we, we came up with the X sign when somebody's hurt. Tag teams on AEW just coming in and hitting a spot not even tagging in it's like right in front of the referee it's like everybody you know, has their own refereeing yeah. style i feel in aew some people are more lenient some people are more strict kurt and brock was more technical matches benoit and, and kurt angle and benoit and eddie guerrero and kurt and eddie so there, there's so many on the top of my chart he got two he got 50 grand lower than brock right and so show's getting hot he's coming out of the hole the brock's going no no not yet not yet rewind recap relive for over 50 episodes the revolutionary force in wrestling interview our first guest has about eight years experience in the wrestling business and has refereed for promotions like house of glory gcw and roh just to name a few the white tiger among zebras please welcome referee nick shin all right nick what's going on brother What's up, man? How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. How about yourself, man? What's happening? I can't complain, man. The week's almost done, so it's almost time for some wrestling. So I'm yeah. pretty happy. <laughs> it sounds awesome. good. Sounds I, good. I I'm ready wait. for some. I'm ready for some some wrestling and NFL football. <laughs> oh, see, that's you got to enjoy everything. <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. No. You've got the right idea, Mike. And I mean, I got to I gotta introduce you, even though everyone watching this definitely knows who you are, embodies every sense of the word, legend and veteran. I just found out refereed anywhere from 12 to 15,000 matches in his 35-year career. Uh, it's incredible. Please welcome the one and only Mike Kyoto. Man, thank you, Jonah. Appreciate you guys having me on the show here, man. Appreciate that intro. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing career, man. It's been totally amazing career for 35 years you know i started refereeing um in 87 worked for the company from 85 to 2020 doing production and all that stuff and um you know it's, it was an amazing career man i started refereeing in 87 with tj strombo made me a ref uh with gorilla monsoon um because i grew up with joey morella and uh debuted on tv in 89 man so i had one hell of a career I'd say that feeling good about it Absolutely. I mean, one of the longest careers, I think, in that place, you know, that was, I mean, it's an, it's insane. Very can't wait to get into it. You mentioned before you hopped on here, you're doing ad-free shows. And I just wanted to say, I love what you've been doing with a Monday mailbag and everything with them. How does it feel getting to tell all these stories after 30 years? Man, feels great and still got a lot more to tell, man. Um, You know, when I got the call from Conrad Thompson, uh, it was actually three years ago in October or like September, and uh, we started doing the show three years exactly in October. And uh, the show has been just going great, man. And, you know, like people have been pushing for the show like every week, every week. And, you know, Conrad said, you know, man, he goes, your show is just so it's so good. He goes, I, I just want to keep you every two weeks because I don't I don't want to lose you on Mondays. You know? <laughs> like, he goes, I don't want you to run out of stories. You know? So uh, <laughs> I said, man, I said, I still got stories, you know, that I've never told before still, but. You know, uh, the show's been going great. Got a lot of good feedback on it, and it's great to be on there. And I appreciate Conrad giving me the opportunity because re referees, you know, 
kind of like uh, marked myself and treated myself as third man in the ring because being the third man in the ring for all those unbelievable matches and main event matches and WrestleMania matches, cash in money in the banks and everything, you know, you never got, as a referee, you never got to tell your story, you know. Um, even at some point, they even took, uh, you know, a lot of uh, referees. They couldn't even say the name on TVs after so many years, you know, and they stopped saying my name because it was just all the way across the, the board, you know. And so you really never got to tell your stories too much, you know. And I remember I remember doing Daniel Bryan in uh, Staples Arena and Brock Lesnar's match, and um, they interviewed me. They said, Mike, we want to interview you. I said, for what? It's like you fucking you never let us talk. What do you want me to say? I'll just be yourself and just uh go over the match and whatever and this and that and you know with the other thing. Then it got like 1.2 million views on like social media shit right away. And then they wanted to keep talking to me more. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But um, you know, people like to hear the standpoint of, you know, they always hear the wrestlers' point of views and you know, the other the heel, the baby face, and all this other stuff, but they never get a chance to hear the referee talk about what happened we have so much more going on than even the wrestlers like the things that we have to hear and the things that we have to just listen to versus all of what what the wrestlers are listening to just thinking of they have their match to think of instead we have to hear these people just yelling in our ear changing yeah. things up like now I'm, i've done like i did ring of honor for two days in mlw for one day and now just having a different idea of things versus like TV versus the indies where people are actually talking in my ear and telling me and giving me new right. commands to give while I'm still trying to not give commands. Like just hearing the ways that everybody's just working around and things that I've seen that wrestlers can't even understand because you got to hear this and this person wants to go over, but this one can't. And it's right. just different exactly. all the things that I know. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, there's, you know, when, you know, you got somebody screaming in the ear, do this, do that. You know, some of the boys, I would act like I would tell them uh, what's coming from Gorilla. But I, you know, I would say something like, I wouldn't even speak. But when they gave me a cue, tell them this, tell them that. And sometimes it was like, it was like, I, I can't, you know, call these spots on the fly because I'm not trying to fuck them up because it's hard to communicate to one, one of the talent and you have to communicate to both of them. And if they're not in a hold... It's hard to communicate to both of them, you know, unless you're going to make it look obvious on TV. You know, like I see refs now, man, they make things look obviously when they're trying to communicate either cues, times, or spots. Um, and we used to try and do that on a real, real down low, you know, whether you spoke Carney, um, other things. But sometimes I, I'd, I'd act like I'm telling them, did you tell him? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I didn't say shit to him, you know, because I'm not the same thing. You're trying to tell John Cena and Randy Orton or fucking DX or all this stuff, all these top talent guys, man. We know what we're doing in that ring, you know. So the only thing, you know, as far as the referees, you know, is you better hit your cues on your times and don't fuck up your spots because, you know, a referee could fuck up one spot and get a lot of heat. You know, the boys could fuck up a spot. Oh, it's okay. We'll just, you know, we'll get it back tomorrow. We'll whatever but if a referee fucked up a finish or a spot you were condemned man you're like your ass was on the charts you know like for heat you know so you know communication is is everything in the ring too what do you well, do during situations like that where you actually like have you ever had a situation where you messed up or anything messed up a finish uh, maybe that one two and something slipped or just wasn't right or 
Man, uh, there's there's been some you know maybe finishes on live events that it's kind of there's there's only maybe a couple times where I fucked up. Um, and if you know if, if any, I've asked people on social media if you could pull out that match where I totally screwed up, pull it out. You know, pull it out that that Rick Knox one two. Oh shit, he didn't kick. <laughs> 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 and God forbid who fucking called that spot next. I mean, first of all. Let's go back to that real quick. I mean, I well, hate I mean, to be in that situation. I know Rick Knox was in a tough situation. But if you didn't know Phoenix's finish, you know, and I mean, and if Moxley's hurt with a concussion, why would you let him take, why would you tell somebody to give him that finish? It's like a brain buster. You know, it's like a, you know, a brain buster. And if he's concussed, man, and then the second one looked worse than the first one. Why man, would you right back to it? <laughs> yeah they went right back to it it's like just you know if he didn't kick out and the referee just looked stupid just back up phoenix lift his arm up one time drop it call it you know what i'm saying yeah. don't say hit another brain buster but you know and i believe i want to say that came from the back from somebody and somebody doesn't want to take the heat for it whether it was tony khan whoever the agent of the match was but they left all the heat on rick knox you know, and Rick Knox is not going to be able to explain himself. And nobody's coming out on social media or coming out anywhere and saying, that was my fuck up. I was the agent of that match. Or, you know, I called that second brain buster, you know, which nearly broke his neck, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's tough being a referee, man. So, um, yeah, there's a couple things where Beth and Phoenix, uh, Beth Phoenix and uh, Candice had a match. We were off a 17-day Europe tour. Um, we were all tired, exhausted, coming off the last show at Raw after a 17-day tour. And then, um, yeah, I remember she had this uh, two out of three falls match, and she took a hell of a nasty fall. She was just dehydrated and everything. And she was just ready to pass out. It, and she fell and took this nasty bump out of the corner. And I told Beth, I, I was like, just pull her out. You know, I mean, not pull her out. I said, just cover her. And, you know, she was enough out of the corner, but Beth didn't know she was hurt even. And she pulled her by her hair and dragged her out. I had so much heat from Vince that I should have called the match. She wasn't totally, you know, she was concussed, but she wasn't knocked out. And she wound up fracturing her collarbone after the bump when she took off the top because she just fell right out of the corner off the top rope. I'd say that, and there was a couple matches, you know, that were screwed up. I got um, confused on a Shinsuke match. Shinsuke and um, Shinsuke Nakamura and R Truth, and it was funny because Ronnie Ronnie told me R Truth says, "Yeah, man, he's gonna you know schoolboy me once or something like that," and uh, and I kicked, but he, he we did something he did something else and schoolboyed him like three times, and the schoolboy was the finish, and I'm thinking, why did we do that schoolboy finish? Why did you? He goes, "Oh my bad, dog. I forgot to tell you he was gonna schoolboy me twice, and then the third one's gonna be the finish." <laughs> <laughs> and it's it switched the United States title or something, but Vince loved it. He loved it. He's like, I'm we're going with that. I love it. I fucking love it. So, you know, I'm like, and then Ronnie's like, well, let's just redo it. I'm like, we can't redo it. Vince loves it. I'm hearing, you know, and I'm like thinking, oh yeah. shit, I just fucked up. <laughs> but uh, and I didn't put the heat on Ronnie, but I went up to Ronnie. I'm like, because I traveled with Ronnie too at the time. I'm like, Ronnie, what the fuck? You know, he's like. He's like Vince loved it. Vince loved it. I mean, he's like my bad dog. I, I forgot to tell you. 
I'm like, you've got to tell me the most important part of the fucking match, the finish. <laughs> but um, yeah, where I got reamed out the most in probably my whole entire career was the um, Candice and Beth Phoenix match. Yeah, where Candice got hurt. I should have called it. I should have. That was my fuck up. But to leave it that way, I was so prone at the time, too, because we weren't really doing concussion protocol shit back then, you know? Yeah. And and there was so many times that you just, when a wrestler was hurt, whether it was a female or a male, you know, you, they got through it, and we just finished the matches. And then we took care of business late. You know, they of course, you know, there are injuries later. But they always, I, I've worked with so much talent in the 80s and 90s and 2000s where, you know, if they got hurt, man, they were like, no, don't call a match. Don't, no, 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 don't fucking call it. I'll get through it. Let's just call a different finish. And we talk, communicate, okay, do this, roll up or schoolboy or do this. Yeah. And we always went, you know, they always worked through their injuries. And so did I, even if I had a, an injury in the ring. You just work through it. But what injury? A little different. I'm sorry? What injuries have you had from refereeing? Oh, I've had, my shoulder's been popping out for the past like couple months and yeah, it's just well, like gotten I know it's bad because I could pop it back in mid-match and not make it look like I popped it back in <laughs> right wow. right yeah now nah, I hear his shoulder um you know I I had no ACL for like 20 something years uh working with W I wore a brace then there was times I, I didn't need to wear a brace uh wear a light, lighter brace um and I and back in the 80s and 90s, when I did, tore my ACL, I had some scopes done, but you never wanted to take the six to nine months that it took for an ACL back then because there were you know, older surgeries 20, 30 years ago that left you out longer and, and the rehab wasn't as good as it is today. You know, So if you weren't around six to nine months, you could lose your spot or lose your, your position in refereeing you know, for a long period of time. So I just, I dealt with the ACL for a long time, no ACL. And then I'd say about six, seven years ago, I finally got it done in Alabama. The company sent me in Alabama and St. Andrews. And I got a cadaver put in, which, you know, lengthened my career for a little bit longer. Um, uh, that, you know, that went pretty cool. I, I mean, I came back in three months. I was supposed to be off for six months, but Shane called me back when he was coming back to the company and having a big WrestleMania match with AJ style so shane said hey calls me up because i just heard yeah they see cell uh, acl surgery whatever i said yes and you know i'll be out for six months i'm you know i said this is gonna be my first mania i'm gonna miss he goes no it's not i said what do you mean i said mania is in like three months he's like i need you at mania man i want you to do my match i need you in that ring this match has got to go it's got to go the way i want it to it's got to go perfect and I'm thinking Shane's coming back. He's doing that. Well, he goes, what can you do to get back in three months? I said, well, I go to therapy three times a week. He goes, how about going five? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. Will the company pay for five days a week? He goes, consider it done. Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate being there for me. Let me know how, how therapy comes along. Five days a week, consider it done. I'm like, what? I'm like, That's okay. on the spot like, is amazing. Yeah, so you know, I was back in three months with a brace, but you know, I made it back, you know, for Mania for his match. Um, so that was cool. And then before when I got let go, I was healing up from a, a rotator cuff uh, surgery, and I had two tears in my bicep, rotator cuff tear. Um, 
another tear somewhere else in the back of my shoulder and Dugas picks me up again, you know, and, uh, and I got released six months later, I was still going to therapy, you know, and then I got released in 2020. I just want to say off of one question, you told some of the most amazing stories I've heard on this show in like the last 20 minutes. And I can't speak for Nick, but like some great insight through those stories, Nick, I want to throw it to you, just everyone listening. I want them to know your journey. How did you get in and what really got you into wrestling to choose refereeing over wrestling? I really enjoyed wrestling for a while. I did that for three years, but the school that I was going to, IWF in Nutley, run by Kevin Knight, it had closed down and I didn't quite know what to do from there. Then I got a call that locally one person was looking for a referee on a show. Uh, pro wrestling magic in Ridgefield Park. And I was like, that's 10 minutes away. So I started going there refereeing. And it was weird to me because I had never done anything outside of my school wrestling wise. So just seeing how people were moving different styles, different, uh, different ways that they were calling their matches. It was just like amazing to me. And I thought to myself, like, I'm not sure if wrestling wise I can keep up. But as a referee, I realized that nobody was really doing anything referee wise. When we were trained, it was like we weren't allowed to know the finishes, but even on our live shows, we would have to count the three if the shoulders would stay down or call a submission, but we'd have to be able to work it as if it was real. Mm -hmm. So once I finally got on the indies and was just told like, all right, this is how it's going to go, this is the finish and all that, it was just almost easy to me. But then I started realizing what I could do to make the job harder, like, the things that I can add and subtract from the matches. Sometimes when I would talk, when I would like over talk, when I see them calling spots in the middle of the ring or things like that. And then people started noticing and being like, Oh, Hey, Nick, you just ref this match. Hey, you ref that match. Uh, randomly somebody saw me and invited me to go to house of glory one day. And then from there, since, since 2017 or 18, I've been the senior official for house of glory. And from just doing all that, random people would just see me and like me and want me to come to this place and that place. And now wherever shows come out of the Mecca and Richfield Park, it's a building that just has tons of wrestling shows pretty much every week. Everybody just knows, oh, you'll see Nick there. Or if you don't see Nick there, he's going to be at some show that's related to somebody that I met from there. And now I'm just around trying to get on everything I can. Richfield Park where? Uh, Ridgefield Park, uh, right off of Main Street, the Knights of Columbus. Oh, okay. No, what state? New Jersey. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Ridgefield Park. My aunts, I grew I grew up in Bayonne. And, oh, yeah? Uh, I, have, I had aunts living in Ridgefield Park and stuff years ago, and yeah, a lot of my For family sure, was here probably every week. <laughs> yeah, we were over uh, by what, 46? Route 46 or something, right? Yeah, right off 46, Some, yeah. 46, yeah. So I used to always go see my aunts way back in the day over there in Richfield Park. We had a lot of family there. I was wondering, Richfield Park, I've only heard Richfield Park, New Jersey before, but. Yep, yeah, that's it. So, yeah, I was born in Bayonne, and in like 74, when I was eight, we moved to South Jersey, Cherry Hill. So. Nice. I've actually left in Cherry Hill, I think, uh, four or five months ago for a company called Super Crazy. <laughs> oh, super crazy, huh? <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome. That's a really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a good story. It's yeah, like I my mean, 
I should just be the best referee I can. Like I see a lot of stuff and I watch how everybody else does it. And I try to give and take from everything I can. Like I watch yeah. every single match that I do. I have notes for, uh, I just will do as much as I can to get better on it. And even if it's just something as simple as, Oh, I keep hunching over. Oh, I'm out of the, I'm in the camera's way. Oh, I don't like the way my feet go. Oh, I don't like the sentence I said when trying to get them back from the ropes. I didn't yeah. talk enough here. Then I think of ways like, all right, this match is crap. How can I make this better? Can I take away from here? Can I ask them to do this? Can I tell them, hey, hit this guy here? Hey, take it home. Things right. like trying to like teach myself how to make it even better so I could just add to the match quality. Like That's my awesome. is to be the white tiger among zebras. So if yep. all referees call themselves the zebra, I want to be the white tiger. I want to be the right. referee they know you could put in the ring anywhere and he'll just find a way to make this the best match ever. Make a yeah. low quality good quality match, but it's just what I want to do and somehow be the best referee ever. Yeah. I grew up with Joey Morella and Gorilla Monsoon in New Jersey and Willingboro. Um, you know, and Gorilla, I remember coming out and I was, we were at the Spectrum one day. We set up the ring. We did this and we had like a local Spectrum TV, you know, local Channel 29 out of Philadelphia TV. But I remember during the day, I was, it was like 1987 when I started to referee. And, you know, I was taking bumps with the wrestlers like Barry Horowitz and the Brawler, Brooklyn Brawler and these guys. And we were just fucking around in the ring, snap suplexes and all this. And Gorilla got hot. He goes, I thought you wanted to be a referee. And I thought you wanted. I said, yeah, I do. He goes, what are you taking bumps in there like the boys? He goes, referees don't bump like that. He goes, you want to bump to learn how to bump like a referee? That's a different story. And you're not supposed to be bumping like the boys. He goes, you know, he goes, let me tell you one thing, Mike. He goes, longevity in this business is referee. And that's what I tell my son, Joey. The long, you can have a good run as a wrestler. You want to be, because everybody, you know, you're young. You want to be a wrestler. Or you see these guys, you know, oh, I want to be a wrestler. I want to be a wrestler. And that's what a kind of a mindset I had too. Maybe I could be a wrestler, you know? And he said, look, the longevity in this business is refereeing. You can have a good five, 10 year career. You can have a good run for five years and it might get shut down. You may get hurt. They may not like you may not be as over. He goes, there's only a few guys in the business are going to have that long 30, 40 year career. And it's true. It was true. You know, and I, I had a great 30, 30 something years, you know, you know, refereeing. Um, there's only a few wrestlers that had a good 30, like Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, or this one and that one. Very few wrestlers were able to come and go the way they wanted to go out in this business. You know, not all these wrestlers go out. Even though they're they're paying a lot of money, they never go out the way they really want to go out, you know, most of them. But, yeah, right. longevity in this business is refereeing. There's a lot to learn, so much to learn. It takes a long time for a referee to really learn from all the different talents. And, you know, unfortunately, I grew up with some old-school talent and just – they taught me well. They taught me well. So I, you know, I took a little information from these guys, from the old school wrestlers. You know, I took it from all the agents we had: the Tony Garrias, the Jack Lanzas, the Chief J. Strombos, the Pat Pattersons, the Rene Goulets, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, and listened, you know, and never going, you know, like a referee. You know what? We comp tickets, right? We don't sell tickets. We comp tickets. So. <laughs> You know, I've, I probably caught more tickets than I uh, actually did matches in my career. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, it's great. Um, you mentioned growing up with a lot of these veterans, uh, and one in particular, Andre the Giant. I heard you spend mm-hmm. time around him when you were very young. Uh, you yeah. have any memories of that? Any any Andre the Giant stories you could share? Yeah, I mean, like, fuck. When before I even started full time with WWE in 1983, I was like 15, 16. And I used to, you know, set up the ring for Victor Kionis, which Gorilla Monsoon owned a ring, and he had certain territories in New Jersey, Wildwood, New Jersey in the summertime, Spectrum, Salisbury, Maryland, and so on. And I used to work, you know, way back in the day for the crew. And I used to, man, but, you know, those days I was making great money. And I was making 50 bucks setting up the ring, 50 bucks taking robes, 50 bucks playing the music, uh, 50 bucks timekeeping. So it was 200 bucks there. Then I, you know, Victor was like, "Hey, Arnie Scullin." You were like, "Hey, you know, you gotta sell programs." I said, "Programs? Oh shit! How much are they? They're a dollar a piece. You know, eight pages with one card. You know, the lineup in it." I said, "Well, what do I make off a program? Uh, ten cents off the dollar." I'm like, "Oh my god, that ain't much money." But Joey was an established referee. Nobody else. I was the youngest on the crew, and so I was the I was the mark. I had to sell programs, but then I would go out and sell three thousand programs. And 10 That's cents amazing. off the dollar. I made 300 bucks doing that and 200 bucks doing my other shit. By the time I was 17 and I was doing the, the wrestling on, you know, the weekends and the summertime, the weekends during school or the summer times, man, I was making 500, seven, you know, more. And then I get tipped and, and I, I had four cars by the time I was 17, a badass waterbed, you know, waveless waterbed, which was back in the day, you know, speakers in my ride all kinds of shit you know, but you know so but getting back with andre i remember one time i remember he's sitting there and he's playing cards with arnie scolding and he's drinking or they're having fun arnie's smoking a cigar and he was the big money man agent and you know i remember him going andre going hey you go get me wine and walk up you know i'm like what i'm like andre i'm like i'm not even old enough to get you know wine and vodka I, I i'm not old enough you know so um and all the boys like you can't tell the boss no you can't tell the boss. i remember paul roma and this one and you can't tell andre no i'm like well, what do you mean i don't want to tell him no but I, i'm not even fucking old enough to get alcohol <laughs> or like well, what the fuck would you do if you had to get alcohol you know whenever you wanted to drink i'm like well, <laughs> I just sit out in front of the liquor store give him 20 bucks give me a case of low brow or heineken and Hopefully they came back out with your fucking beer, you know. Didn't rob you. Right, didn't rob you. You know, that's how I used to stand there and look oh, he he seems cool. Let me go ask him. And they were like, Well, go fucking do that now. And I'm like, <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm like, there's nobody old enough. For, you know, I'm like, they're like, Kyo, you better get it done. Or Andre, you know, I'm like, all right, <laughs> fuck it. So I did, you know, and then I waited like 30 minutes and I thought this guy robbed me because Andre gave me a hundred dollar bill. And I'm like, fuck, if this guy robs me, you know, I'm like, it's got to be this French wine. It's got to be this kind of vodka. <laughs> you know? It's got to be this, bro. And then, you know, the dude came out and I'm like, oh, fuck, cool. You know, so I gave him, t- I think, 20 bucks. But then Andre tipped me like 50 bucks or something for, for going wow. to get it, you know. And I was like, yeah, boss, anything you need next time, I'll get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, getting tipped 50 bucks is a hell of a lot of money plus what you're making. But, you know, Andre yeah. was, there was a lot of cool stories with Andre. So it was great. Uh, sad to see him pass away so young. Yeah. 
Um, you know, uh, he was, you know, there's a picture of me and Tony Chimmel when we, we had smocks on and we were like, you know, this is why I was working WWE full time. He was getting kind of older and we're carrying him out, you know, cause they had us dress up as doctors, you know, we did everything, you know, dressing yeah. up as doctors and all this other stuff. So, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool memories with Andre. That's for sure. And don't ever try and drink with him. You, you could have drank, you know, <laughs> he drank anybody under the table. Oh, of course. Is that that rumor is true? The uh, I forget what the exact number is, like 140 something in one sitting. Like, you think that's probably what? 140. He threw something back. I don't. It was whether it was just beer or something. He was. He did a lot in one sitting. I think he holds like a Guinness Book of World Records. But you think there's probably some truth to that? Oh, there's a lot of truth down. to that. Oh, there's a lot yeah. of truth to that. I mean, I I remember. He, I think he used to drink like two bottles of wine and a bottle of vodka sometimes before he went in the ring. Wow, you know, and <laughs> still able to do everything. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, bro. I mean, he was, you know, he was five hundred pounds at the time. You know, when he was in his prime, when I was first starting in this business, you know, and um, well, not you know, yeah. I mean, he's still in his prime. I mean, remember right. when Joey Morella repped? It was so such a huge match for Joey to rep the Hogan and uh, Andre match too. You know. Oh wow! Um, That's so yeah. Yeah, Joey Morella repped that match. And so, you know, it's just uh it was cool. That's yeah, you know, that's kind of when uh Andre passed the torch to Hogan, you know. Yep. And then Hogan passed the torch to The Rock in two thousand two. I did that match in, in uh Sky Dome in Toronto. Of course. You know, and then a little bit after that, Rock takes that torch and takes off the Hollywood on us. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yo, yo, Rock, where you going? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's crazy. Awesome to hear that you were able to spend so much time with him at the very beginning too. Nick, for you, uh, at the beginning, we heard your journey. Do you remember the very first match, the first official match you were the referee for? Do you remember how that went or how that was for you? Any nerves you had? Uh, it wasn't that I was nervous. It was really funny to me because throughout my school, there were probably five or six girls and for some reason the women would never wrestle each other they would always have the women wrestling the guys just because the women were either like just not trained enough on the shows or they would just need something else or the women versus the women would never end up a good match so my first match was jordan grace versus sonia strong that was wow. the first match rest refed at pro wrestling magic on the indies wow Wow. And I just wrecked uh, Sonya's return match, and I've now wrecked Jordan Grace like at, at least once a year since I started refing. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, my first match was uh, yeah, it was Brooklyn Brawler and, and Barry Horowitz. That was my very first match. Yeah, at a live event. <laughs> I was nervous as fuck because they, I didn't come out as being a wrestler. I was a ring crew guy and did all the you know the backstage stuff and. TV stuff and drove the trucks and stuff like that. So I, I I was fucking nervous as all get out because the old school town, if you screwed up a match, begin that's why I became a referee because Chief J and a lot of the agents were hating on the uh New York State Commission guys mm. and the Pennsylvania State Commission and we had the state commission. So they wanted, you know, Chief got tired of them guys from screwing up all these matches. So, you know, like poof. You know, I, I didn't want to, I was nervous as all get out, boy, I had butterflies. And, 
you know, I still had butterflies in my career doing big matches, you know, like even when I was refereeing 15 years later, like you're going to tell me I didn't have butterflies and, you know, going into the Hulk Hogan, um, you know, the rock match and, and the sky dome shit, you know, that was, it was unbelievable. And then I became a mark because everybody, it was just unbelievable. I was in the business already 17 years at that point. And I'm thinking I was marking out, <laughs> you know, like icon <laughs> against icon. All the years I've seen Hogan and, you know, seeing Rock coming in with Jerry, Jerry Curls and coming as Rocky Maivia, then what, what he became, The Rock, you know. Um, even Stone Cold Shawn Michaels, uh, Kurt yeah. Angle, Brock Lesnar match in WrestleManias and, you know, Seth Rock. I always get butterflies because you, if, especially if you have a referee has to take a bump and you have your spots to take care of and, you know, you got to know these matches in case some of the guys draw a blank, and you got to know these matches to the T. And you know, you definitely want your false finishes to execute your false finishes, your cadences. You know, when you're getting a crowd standing off their feet when they thought it was a three count, that means your referee's doing their damn job. You know, so um, you know, and, and it feels good. But yeah, I, you you skip butterflies in a lot of even matches, even many years into my into my career. What was your favorite? that you've done and it's hard to say i mean you know of course you know Any, like, uh, i'm i'm not taking away anything from the you know the rock and um uh you know it's for, for different parts of it whether it was kurt angle and shane mcmahon um kurt angle brock lesnar brock and seth i mean brock and um roman reigns with seth cash and the money at the bank all those matches had a different you know, for me, like in a lot of matches, certain matches like Kurt and Brock was more technical matches. Benoit and, and, and Kurt Angle and Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Kurt and Eddie. And so there, there's so many on the top of my chart. But, you know, is you know, I got to say Rock and Hogan with the reaction that Hogan got coming out, you know, and the people didn't forget who Hulk Hogan was and him coming out in that NWO gear and, you know, and all that and. It was that was that was probably one of the most unbelievable responses uh, I've ever heard. You know, like it was like The Rock coming out in Colorado not too long ago. You know, and I yeah. mean, here you had sixty eight thousand people. We we didn't break the record on attendance, but man, in that dome too, that big ass dome, it sounded it was so loud you couldn't even hear yourself think. Man, it was just like going right through your head. Man, I marked out at goosebumps. You know, marked out on that match. And, you know, I had to take a bump in that match, and that was my have to execute this bump perfectly, and it did. It worked out great. You know, and you pat yourself later on it, after everything works out great, the talent's happy, the agents are happy, Vince is happy. But before, yeah, your nervous is all get out because, if, like I said, if a referee screws up a bump or screws up the match, ah, so much heat gets, gets put on the referee. But I have a ton of favorite matches. I have a ton. It's really hard to pinpoint it because so many matches were different. Like Hogan and Rock, they weren't, it wasn't a big tech. It was just old school push off, shove off, mm. tackle, hulk up. You know, it's like, and a crowd popped on this, popped on that, popped on this. We we had them on the entrance. We had the crowd on the entrance, you know? Yeah. Um, we had it on the stare down. It was just unbelievable on the stare down. Which should that match been the last match? Fuck yeah, that, that night it should have been the last match. And it was so much controversy that the whole day. I remember Jericho running around. You know, this is what, 21 years ago saying that. 
that match should be on last. I'm telling you, that match should be on last. We shouldn't fucking be going, you know. And, you know, Triple H and a lot of the guys probably, you know, the office didn't want to hear that. But, shit, there was a girls match after the Hogan match and then Triple H and Jericho, you know. And that crowd was so dead after that, they took took every breath out of that crowd after the Rock and Hogan match. But, and then there's you know a lot of other matches that are technical and high flying. It's just a different pace of wrestling, you know. It's just the people. Sometimes you just want to see those people that you really love. You can't yeah. beat the feeling that the Rock and Hulk Hogan could give you. Like nothing yeah. could do that. Even though, of course, if you watch a cool match after, but those right. are two things that just give you so much energy. It's just gonna you're gonna be dead after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, and there's there's so many so many matches you do, like, and you think like, oh my god, what's? You just never thought it. Twenty years later, it'd be becoming the most one of the best wrestling matches in in you know in wrestling you know wrestling history. You know, but that night I knew it was special because that's why the shirt right here I got up on the wall is from the Rock and Hogan match. And you know, there's only a few shirts that I got. I, I got a lot of WrestleMania shirts from really good matches that I, I really liked myself. But that shirt, I got signed by Rock and Hogan, framed it right away. You know, yeah. it was Icon against Icon. Um, and there's there's plenty more shirts I got that are you know definitely uh, sentimental to me. You know, more sentimental. So, but yeah, it's hard. It's uh, you know, like. You know, one of my favorite matches back in the day was like even Razor Ramon one two three kid when you know mm -hmm. one two three kid kid goes over on Razor, you know, and we're in the Manhattan Center and I remember Razor going Coyote, come here Coyote, and I'm like, what's up, Raze? He's like, look, if you got any fucking fast count in you, it better be tonight. And he goes, I don't give a fuck, but just up that fucking speed on that count. One, two, three, you know. I mean, I'm like sitting there going, you know, you ain't gonna fuck with Razor and fucking Kevin Nash and all those boys that hung out, you know, and you could tell Razor was butthurt about fucking doing the job to the kid, but you know, they were trying to get the kid over, which it worked out perfect, you know. And I remember going, one, two, three, it was just like, you know, as fast as I can do it without looking stupid, but you know, um, <laughs> back in them day you listen to the boys you know because you got to work with the boys you got to travel with the boys overseas you know and if you want you don't want to come home looking like nick with a bald head and shaved back then boy <laughs> if you had to eat with the boys they'd be shaving your head as much as they could you know <laughs> mike you mentioned the bump you took in the hogan and rock match nick i'd love to right. throw it to you have you taken many bumps in uh in matches and and if you could walk us through like the science of that really like a ref bump yeah, he um, these bumps. He means a ref bump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I ref bump. He had to point that out at the end. Ref bump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one good one I took. Uh, well, I took a lot of good bumps. I think my best ones were House of Glory ones. Uh, one of my favorites was Anthony Gangone versus Amazing Red in a no ropes match. Uh, wow. and some and all of the referees, uh, Red said all of the referees are going to die tonight. 
and nobody understood what that really meant. So then when calling the match, the first referee came out, he was like, okay, you're going to get a chair thrown at your head at some point. I'm not mm-hmm. sure when, but look out for when I have the chair. When that happens, then another referee comes out. Nick, you're going to be the referee for that part. He's going to put me into a cross-faced chicken wing, and then somehow he's going to roll out and Sparta kick you through a door. Made no sense to me, and I didn't understand <laughs> how it was going to work because mm-hmm. I think it was the first amazing red match I had ever ref at House of Glory. So I was already nervous thinking to myself, like, oh, okay, like, this is red. This is the boss here. Like, I got to do good. Uh, when the part finally came, uh, they lined me up with the door and everything. They were struggling. They were going back and forth with the cross face, back and forth with the cross face. He finally got it. He twisted it out, and he just kicked me in the chest, and I just flew back off the ring through the door that was set up across the ring, uh, the ring post and the barricade. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. The crowd was there. Crowd came yeah, for it. Yeah. Everybody was like thinking I was dead. They had the camera on me. Yeah. And I was perfectly fine. I just yeah. went through it. And people were into it. Yeah, um, that's cool, man. That's it. That that's is cool. really yeah, like little it's things like that like, just makes it feel like, like I could be a part of this just doing one stupid thing, like getting kicked through a door. And it just added on because as the referees started getting beat up, one guy who was the ring announcer, who was the first House of Glory referee ever, he happened to be in the crowd and pulled off his shirt, and then he was able to get in the ring and then make the three count. And it just made everybody pop because the few that were there that were at the first ever House of Glory shows were like, oh, he came back and refed it. And then the other ones were like, oh, the referees all died. It looked amazing. Everybody yeah. was just happy about it. Yeah. Then I realized, like, the way that I could do things, like, with those bumps. So now it's, like, when I'm taking, like, little clothesline bumps or uh, go ahead, turn around, I'm going to uh, throw him a clothesline, You're, uh, somebody's going to duck it, you're going to take the clothesline. Like, now I've, like, been looking it up, like, ways to bump and stuff. And, like, how you were saying earlier, like, how a referee doesn't bump like a wrestler. Now right. I understand the whole, like, car crash sequence, like, what would an average person do when they get knocked over? Because yeah. the referee shouldn't be trained to bump. It should just right. be like, all right, I'm just getting knocked the hell out. Right. I'm just a regular person. Someone like someone like if you're taking a punch, you're gonna crumble, not 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 like take a flip and do all this thing, you know, fly like I fish out of water. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Different, totally different ways for a referee to bump instead of a wrestler, you know. Totally right. Yeah, yeah now I mean, do stupidness, drop and yeah. die. <laughs> there was one incident where it was WrestleMania, Rock and Stone Cold have been touched for a year. This crowd in Philadelphia at the at Spectrum was so fired up, man. It was. I remember it came out at the first ten minutes of the match, and I was supposed to take the chair chair shot from Stone Cold. Rock pulls me in, and Stone Cold goes, "He was coyote." He's like, "Hey." put your hand up right here brother he goes you know i said man i'm not putting my hand up i said screw that i said i have to what you guys all the chair shots you take all the crazy shit and mick foley's jumping off of cages in pittsburgh and this one's out you know i said man, i'm just gonna take that chair shot i'm from south jersey i'm from jersey it's like my hometown got plenty of comp tickets and family out there 
I want it to really look good. You know, if he gashes me and splits me wide open, he does. I said, don't worry, Steve, just bring it, man. And I'm I'm not going to put my hands up. You, you sure? And I said, no, I'm good, man. He goes, oh, all right. He goes, man, hate the fuck up that little pretty face of yours. But, you know, man, <laughs> I said, I said, brother, if, if it happens, it happens. You know, I said, I just want it to look good. You know, if I put my hands up, I know it's coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to put my hands up way too early. You know what I'm saying? And I said, I'm just yeah. not going to put my hands up at all. So, and man, I'll tell you, that fucking thing rang my bell for like three days. <laughs> I, <remember. laughs> I came back, JR goes, God damn it, boy. He goes, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a give you a bonus, $2,500, taking that wow. fucking chair shot. <laughs> Said shit, I'll take them chair shots all day long. Yeah, every night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit, you know, but that rang my bell. My neck was stiff for a week or two, man. My I I heard ringing in my ear for like <laughs> at least three days, man. I felt like the phone was just constantly ringing. It was like, but uh, you know, there's some shots and there's stuff that, you know, as a referee, you know, you just can't after what these guys do, you can't be worried about taking kind of bump that you're you know that you got to be involved in you know right yeah i feel like refing death matches on the indies now like mm. it's stupid but i don't feel like right sometimes some of the guys will be refing and just being like elbow pads and long sleeve shirts and stuff but then i'll see these guys wrestling just doing all kinds of stupidness with glass and and light tubes and all that and they're just like shirtless or in their under yeah. undies i'm like all right well I might as well just be in my T-shirt and not have any glass in your goggles and stuff because if they got to deal with all this, I'll at least wear gloves so when I count, I don't stab my hand, but that's right, it. Right, right. Yeah, them thumbtacks. Like, I want to just like, some of them. let them know that I'm here with them and I understand the nonsense that they're going through because I feel it. It's all for the crowd and right. I want to be happy too. Even though they're getting that bigger check, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hell of a bigger check, boy. You know, I remember fucking Brock, and it wasn't the uh, where the ring collapsed, but we were there working an angle Brock and show. And I remember we did a pay per view, Matt. We did a pay per view a couple or a month or two ago. We used to always have to wait months till our paycheck for the pay per views. So, because they were bigger checks. And I remember, I remember seeing, I think it was SummerSlam they were involved or something. And I remember fucking show going, hey, Brock. You know, it, Brock had him in a hold, you know, and he had him in uh in a hold in the middle of the ring. And then, you know, show sitting there selling and show goes, Hey Brock, did you get your fucking check for uh the pay-per-view? And he's like, Yeah, show I did. He was like, What'd you get? He was like, you know, oh, I got two hundred and fifty grand for that. He goes, What? He was like, are you fucking kidding me? He got hot, show. <laughs> he was like, I got fucking 200 grand. He got two, he got 50 grand lower than Brock, right? And so fucking show's getting hot. He's coming out of the hole. And Brock's going, no, no, not yet, not yet. And he's trying to beat him back down, right? He's trying to beat him back down. And show just got fucking kept cut back up. And he picks up fucking Brock. He's like, you really got, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Are we talking about that pay-per-view match? I did, man. You guys a couple of months ago, I'm like, I got 2,500. <laughs> and, like, and they're like, shut up, coyote. I'm like, are you guys talking 250 grand? 250, 200. Holy like, shit. 
<laughs> what the fuck? I got one percent of that. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. But yeah, the boys will be boys, you know, <laughs> yeah. making that money. The money out there today is unbelievable, man. Woof. You good, and it's good for the boys, you know. If it wasn't for AEW, so many wrestlers would be fucked and screwed. You know, they wouldn't have another place to go. They wouldn't have a. They don't have no bargaining chips at the WWE table. You know, like because now you got you got you got chips to bargain. Oh, you don't want to pay me? I'll go to AEW. Let's see what they have to offer. You know, right. And it's great because the employees and you know with AEW telling you WWE probably would have never thought that AEW would be doing this many of their shows now, like you know shows on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Collision, and and the pay per views and fucking hitting records at Wembley Stadium, you know, and shit like that. And the ratings are beating. I mean, WWE seems like they're they're pulling everything out. John Cena and NXT Undertaker, Undertaker yeah. That was the other night, and, this, and I and I think AEW still still beat them in the ratings. Like it's a it's great how both of these are just doing that because even though it's like your people are looking like one beat the other, one beat the other, like that just means if you split it in half, there's that many people just watching wrestling in general. Like yeah. I don't care watching; it's just the whole idea that wrestling is still making some kind of just move and budge, and it's just people, right? Like. Just makes me happy to see that wrestling is still doing it somehow. Yeah, wrestling is still doing it, but I, I, God, when you're watching, I mean, what wrestling's on six, almost six days a week now. If you have a <laughs> pay per view, I mean, yeah. you got SmackDown, Raw, you got this, you got, you know, all these shows. I just hope they're not oversaturating wrestling, you know, because I'm, I'm hearing some kind of rumors where, you know, uh, Fox may not run a renew uh, WWE SmackDown. You I've know, heard that contract. too. I'm yeah. hearing things that raw they don't want raw on for three hours anymore, you know. So and and all this on USA. So it might be moving, you know, Fox to Smack, uh, USA on SmackDown now again. So you know, it's, if you're you're oversaturating it too much, man. There's only so many people can watch so much wrestling, or and I think more people are leaning to AEW, you know. I mean, right. you have you have a lot of different surprises on AEW. If you got to get your ratings up with WWE and you got to bring back guys that are 20, 30 years ago, hmm, that's you know, I don't know. No, it's a really good point. It's it, you're no, right. No disrespect to the talent that I worked for many years. I'm just saying, though, if you have to yeah. bring those guys back, and you couldn't make these other guys superstars, you know, that you got been going on for. You know, and you got to bring John Cena back in this one and this one and this one. You know, you got to find, you know, Roman Reigns has been holding, you know, down, holding, holding down. the fort for WWE for quite a while now in the bloodline. So, which I well, love that. I have a question for you involving involving making new stars in WWE and involves Roman Reigns. It was something unprecedented at uh, WrestleMania 31. I was actually there for that in California. Really crazy moment. I mean, the crowd being in it was insane like people had no clue rollins was coming out to cash in what was it like being in the ring for something that had never happened like that like what was the the protocol what were you told and and really yeah how did you react in the moment i mean i knew it was coming um yeah but to me at that moment it was, it was just to be honest with you just doing my job that's you know to be honest with you 
when I walk out to the ramp and it was 80,000, 90,000, 60,000, or 20,000 in an arena or stadiums, that's what impressed me. And you got goosebumps in them certain times and everything. But when that bell rung and when ding, 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 when I rang that bell, I, I, I had tuned out the whole crowd at times. You know, you, you, you tune them out to almost to where you're just focused on your spots because, you know, when you're thinking, okay, it's got to be drop kick, hip toss, this, that, drop kick, then you, your spot's coming up to take a bump. Or you're constantly going, okay, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing it, okay. And you're giving cues and times and you're passing messages on. You're, you're passing, you know, spots and this and that back and forth. If somebody draws a blank and, hey, what's the next spot? All right, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you just got to, and you're hearing, you know, like gorillas constantly in here, the agent, you know, this one. Um, you know, I used to tune a lot of those crowds out. And, you know, I remember like just, you know, working that match and just going through everything. And with Seth Rollins cashing, it was just, everything was just such a big success. You know, I was relieved. Oh, shit. Everything went smooth. The agents are happy. You're getting applauded when you get back up to Gorilla. You know, the boys are thanking you. You're thanking the boys, you know, for the match. Um, you know, but there's a lot of times that, you know, you feel things like, you know, in your false finishes and the crowd pops or this happens or that happens and they pop. But there's a lot of times, like, I just used to tone out, like, the crowd, you know, and um, it wasn't being ignorant or being rude or anything to tone out. It was just you were so focused on what you what you have to do in that match, yeah. and what's you know what's your next spot and how things are going, and you're trying to listen this, and they want this guy to do that, and you're passing cues on, and you know um, sometimes you're just so busy of thinking everything, you, you know, you just you don't really realize. You, you, you're in one of the most memorable matches of history of wrestling history, professional wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, and I probably a good strategy to, to tune them out um, and a great skill to be able to do so Nick for you. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, you recently refereed for ring of honor. I think it was only a, a few months ago, right? Yeah. That you refereed for them. I'd love to hear that experience was for you because that's a, that's like an eight year, journey right there finally coming to like that's a huge company everything you did along the way but that that must have felt really good to you uh, it was pretty scary honestly <laughs> like the entire time driving that uh flying down to florida when i got off the plane just taking my uber to the hotel and realizing like it was the first time i've been to a wrestling show where i didn't have to pay for my hotel so that was just new to me <laughs> We're yeah, just right. the same hotel where all the wrestlers are at. And there was a uh, shuttle that went there. So I was like, oh, because I was all prepared, just thinking, OK, I'm going to need to get an Uber every day Uber. to get this hotel to uh, be able to get to the venue. But instead, there was a shuttle that everybody rode on from the uh, venue to uh, Universal Studios. And then from there, when I got in, it was just like it was really TV, if that makes any sense. So from being only on the indies, you don't really see this many cameras. You don't see an actual setup. You don't really see things like people practicing their entrances and stuff or them just setting up lights and all that. I wasn't used to anything more than just somebody having just some big light posts hung around the around the corners of the ring or just seeing a, it being ready for like maybe two, three hundred fans. But 
they were fitting whatever they could fit with inside of that uh, little universal studio and just to have those tight, those trons and stuff behind me. Like it was just a, it wasn't, it was scary, but at the same time, literally when I got in the ring and by the time I was calling for the code of honor, everything just went away nervousness wise. Cause it was like, it transitioned from me in the middle of once I called for the code of honor from, all right, I'm in ring of honor. I'm on TV. I'm doing something really big to, all right, I'm inside of this wrestling ring. I know what to do inside a wrestling ring. It doesn't matter if it's a ring of honor wrestling ring. It's a pro wrestling magic. It's a house of glory. At the end of the day, it's all wrestling. And I'm used to having people just making jokes on my earpieces in the Indies. So now having to actually give commands and stuff that actually means something, it was a matter of, okay, now I got to make sure that I could do this when they say it, but I don't want to be seen because there's, it's not just like one person on a camera or one hard cam. There's cameras everywhere. So now I'm giving off these commands while trying to make, Hey, keep your hands up. You have two minutes left. Hey, what do you want to do? Do you want me to stop this one? You have one minute left. Hey, what do you want me to do? They want you in that corner for some reason. Random things like that, like yes. it just felt natural as soon as I got to Ring of Honor. And it was like I just keep wanting to relive that, but now I'm just in limbo waiting for them to say, Okay, we need you again. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's a lot of, those are the stressful like going off the air at, at Raw or SmackDown when you went live and pay per views when you know, when Vince went to the network, it was kind of different, but when we were going off on USA, if you hit, if you don't hit your cues and you go minutes late, that's an extra hundred grand right there that the company has to pay to these networks. So, and me hitting those cues and making sure those talent got the cues and working with those guys, we got 30 seconds. We got to fucking go drop fucking dead 30 seconds. And I'm counting my head. Oh, 20 seconds left, you know, because I'm not waiting for Billy's cues. I'm, I'm thinking of myself, you know, like, because I was so good with times in the ring. And I don't think once in my career, I've never hit a cue going off the air, which was very important. And then your cues don't stop as a referee. Oh, go up to the corner. They want you to raise the title here. Go up to all four corners. Go up to this corner. Smile, smile, smile. They want to see the baby face smile. You know, Randy Orton used to that. What do you mean you want me to fucking smile? They want you to smile, Randy. Fucking smile. You know, I'd be <laughs> like, you know so I mean, they're telling people to do things like after the match and stuff. Cause in my mind, I was like, hard camera, okay, right? Hard camera. Big hard cam. Go to oh, this. Fuck. That's do your pose in this corner. Like, yeah, do it over here. Yeah. Things yeah. like that. I never, like, I never thought of. Because it's just working indies versus a television thing. Like, you don't think that all these things have, have to happen. Right. I'm just right. thinking, okay, I see this. But in my mind now, thinking it back, like, yeah, I guess I wouldn't remember to do all these things either if I just got beat up throughout a match. Like, my mind isn't going to say to myself, okay, I also need to work these cameras. And then it's all those extra random commands. Hey, stay in the ring. Hey, this guy's got to come out. Hey, move over here. Come when you come back. Come to this side because somebody's gonna come because we're running late. Things right, like right, that. I just don't right. think of think of happening. But now that I've learned they're all happened, like I just want to do them more. 
Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I see on the shows now, they, they don't utilize the referees like they used to. Like in, you know, back in the day, like if a guy was selling in the center of the ring and somebody would go up to the top, ready to hit a big drop kick or big or cross body, you know, the guy would sell up, you know, and I'd be right in front of that heel or whatever or whoever. And I'd be like, all right, all right, he's getting up to the top rope. He's getting up to the top. You could start selling up. You know, and then the guy would sell up instead of facing him, he would be facing away from him, you know, in the center of the ring. So, and then all of a sudden, you'd be like, okay, he's he's ready. He's ready. Yeah, because I'm his eyes. You know, he's ready. He's ready. And then the guy would, you know, he would sell up and turn around and boom, he'd hit him right as he turned around, you know, because we're all working together in the same page on that. So, because you, you never want a wrestler getting up watching him give the crossbody or. Mm -hmm. You know, you always timing was perfect. Timing was impeccable at that point, and but I, I see him not utilizing the referees the way they should. You know, but it is what it is these days too. I mean, the, the counts. You know, they they don't apply the five. You know, the rules on the ropes, or they don't apply this. I, I see tag teams on AEW just coming in, hitting a spot without even tagging in. And then getting right back out, you know, it's like right in front of the referee. It's like, yeah, putting more heat on the referee. Everybody you know? has their own refereeing yeah. style. I feel in AEW, and it's allowed there to all be just stylistic. Of some people are more lenient, some people are more strict. But the way I was yeah. taught, it, like I was, I used to watch old school NWA with my grandpa, and he used to just record on VH. Show me the old VHSs that he used to have and stuff. So it'll be like that's the refereeing I know of, where it's like, no, I'm right. stern rules. No, what I say goes. It has to be that way because if not, then it just eliminates the story of a tag match. If not, it's just a clusterfuck fight. That's it. Yep, it's a clusterfuck fight, and you can. And there's why is a referee in there just to count three? You know, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, I I was watching a match and. It was Jericho and uh, Omega tagging up against these two young guys, a Japanese guy and somebody else, the young dude. And, you know, it was a good match and everything, but they were just coming in at any point, any time, and just hitting spots right in front of Aubrey. It was Audrey, you know, Aubrey Edwards just hitting spots right in front of him, going, oh, my God. Like, especially when you got guys on the outside. You can have a baby face draw you. You can have some of the, the other heel draw you. You can... There's many places to go when you have, especially hey, working tag match. Looking, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, that's the fun of it. Like, I guess it's like it just ends up being like in my mind, like it sucks, but it's not as good as I can ref. It's more so just becoming a matter of like who I can be friends with, who can put me in position to be able to ref on TV or ref in this spot or do this or that. And it sucks because in my mind, I'm like, if I applied myself as a wrestler, if I was as good of a wrestler as I am a referee, I feel like I could have done more. But as a referee, it just doesn't seem to matter wherever I go some places. Like, I could be the best. I can know all the rules. I can make sure I hit everything right. I can make sure that everybody's just being copacetic and the match is telling us. But it just won't matter if I'm just not the guy who's over there just being everybody's bestie and just wants to go out about my life afterwards. No, I hear that. I hear that.
we're gonna we're gonna wind it down uh mike if i could just ask you one more moment from your career that uh that i feel some pressure could have come along with was wrestlemania 14 you brought it up earlier when uh you were put in the main event that i don't think you were supposed to be in originally and i love to Shawn hear michaels show michaels yeah. and stone cold yeah i think it was supposed to be earl hebner at first um but right. he got sick can you take right. us through that night and really what was going through your head um being in the main event yeah yeah i mean um i did i think i had an ic title match or something else that night um i was out throughout weeks i was doing crew as well so we're always out there a week prior to you know to the mania setting up and everything and we of course we're at the boston garden old school mecca building you know a lot of history behind it always love working the, the garden uh so i get a phone call saying hey you know michael hayes and them guys called me and said that you you're doing the uh stone cold uh so michael's match you know earl sick i said oh shit i said you kidding me he said yeah he had some type of aneurysm or something i said holy shit you know first my thought was is earl okay or hey, earl's gonna be fine you know he had surgery or something he's gonna be okay but we need you to step up and do this match i said hell yeah no problem hell yeah whatever you guys need you know and uh stone cold and sean wanted sean wanted you you know i worked with sean way back years when they came up i was in the company when they came the rockers came to wwf so i was always always felt great working with sean sean taught me a lot when i was green you know, refereeing stuff like that, even be him being a wrestler and a tag with Marty Jannetty, being the Rockers. We used to have these one hours with the Rougeau brothers and one hour draw, you know, two out of three pinfall matches. And we used to go all night. It was great, man, working with Sean. So, and working with Stone Cold was phenomenal, man, because he's a great guy and easy to work with. So, you know, when they, they picked me to do that match, you know, it was, it was just a great feeling. Um, knowing that I'm, I'm respected, um, I'm depending on, like they're depending on me because they, they trust me in the ring to, to make this match go, go well. Um, Sean was banged up, uh, lower back injuries. Yeah. I think this was like the big start of Stone Cold's big push, right? Maybe. I think he, they were starting to really push him at that time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then you had Mike Tyson, which I'm a big fan of, you know, the enforcer. So we had rehearsals that, that week. And I remember Mike Tyson coming in with his entourage and, and I couldn't wait to meet Mike Tyson. And, and then he comes up, I'm like, Hey Mike, how you doing brother? I said, you know, I'm Mike Kyoto, man. He goes, man, I know who you are. What's up Kyoto. He was like, damn, man, you were like one of my favorite referees. I was like, what? That's amazing. Like, that's huge. You know my name? I'm like, you know me? And I'm thinking like, yeah, that's when they say our names on TV all the time back then. And he was a big fan of wrestling. I didn't know how much he was a huge fan of wrestling. So, you know, I was like, fuck. You know, I used to watch all his fights. You know, I I remember missing a fight. I was so pissed one night. Went to the, take a piss and shit, man, you know. And the fight was over in 90 seconds. How many fights did he <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but he was such a big fan of mine you know and and just him knowing me who i was was just just blew my mind and you know um you know so i, I just had to teach him how to count which you know he, he didn't count at all like the way we were going through in rehearsals that week 
but it was just fun being out there with Mike Tyson, Shawn Michaels, and Stone Cold. It was it was phenomenal. And you know, I had to take a. It wasn't a very hard bump to take out of the corner. You know, get squashed a couple times in the corner, but you know, they, they that's what they wanted. We executed the bump, the ref bump, and then Tyson comes in, finishes it off. He gets the big payday. You know, so. But uh, yeah, it was just it was just phenomenal, you know. Is uh, uh, it was just great being a, a part of that match, man, and especially at the Boston Garden. Yeah, that's such a blessing. That's just cool having Mike Tyson just knowing who you are. That must have caught so you. Oh, cool. oh, it caught me way off guard. I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to introduce my. He's like, man, I know who you are. What's up, Kyoto? I'm like, I'm like, he's like, what's up, Mike Kyoto? <laughs> <laughs> you know me like, how the fuck you know me bro I'm like yeah, the baddest like, man on this planet like, yeah <laughs> you know I'm like shit but that was awesome yeah is there any extra like responsibility added when um like Michael's back was banged up like you said like was there any were you given special instruction or were you paying attention extra to that no no not really just you know checking on Sean throughout the match and you know yeah talking if he was really fucked up i see now sean like the old school days back then you know no matter how back how fucked up his back was they they went through it and they sean got through it right you know i mean whatever he had to do to get through that that night made it happen uh just right. like kurt angle and brock lesnar kurt angle and wrestlemania and brock lesnar where brock almost broke his neck but I mean, Brock was banged up. Kurt was wrestling with a broken neck, a fracture in his neck, and something else going on with him. He had a few injuries going on that night, which he had got surgeries right after WrestleMania. But they got they got through it because they were the main event. And, but um, you know, of course, you're always looking out for the boys, and you're always you know you're listening, and you're you know they tell yeah. you something. You know, and back in them days, there wasn't. There wasn't much to relay. Even when we started going with the IFBs years ago, we used to take a pen, you know, the, the timekeeper used to have a pencil Mark Yates mm. in his mouth, give us the cues. And then by fingers, you know, we'd go one, five minutes, four, three, two, you know, but you'd start up two, two was 10 minutes, you know, and then you'd go one for five and then that's nine, one for five, that's eight. You know, we used to have our system down. Yeah, uh, when we got the IFBs and all that other stuff, um, you know, we can hear from them, but they couldn't hear from us. And then we finally transitioned into mics to where we could talk back to Gorilla because it was very fucking frustrating because you're they're asking you fifty million fucking questions and then you can't answer them. So we we came up with the X sign when somebody's hurt, you know. So you know if, if I couldn't talk back to which I couldn't, I'd have to talk back to you know, um, timekeeper, but you couldn't talk to the timekeeper during the match, you know? So if somebody got hurt, we came up with this X sign, you know? Mm -hmm. So Good that's how we started doing that, which we still, yeah, well, we still do that, but now that you can communicate back to Gorilla, which is a huge part for the referees. Yeah. Well, no, that's awesome. I, interesting that that came later, the X sign. I mean, I guess it wasn't, you know, early in the early days, obviously, but still I never thought that there was a time when you actually created that, you guys. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, Nick, it's been awesome hearing hearing your journey so far. I'd love to hear yeah, where sure we can is, see yeah. you, see you going forward. What are some future goals for you, long term or short term? Uh, my goal is honestly to find a way to make a living off refereeing. Uh, it seems hard, but 
I said I wanted to be a wrestler when I was a kid and I got to do that. So what could stop me from wanting to be the best referee ever and find a way to do this forever? Like I literally just want to be all across the TVs and the videos and all that stuff, just refereeing some of the best matches ever and just being a part and a reason why these matches just end up right and well. Awesome, man. Good luck with everything, Nick. Good luck. Thank you, man. That's so concise. And, and yeah, really good luck with that. That's an awesome, awesome goal to have. Um, It sure is. Mike, uh, I want to throw it to you, final thing. I heard, uh, what are some uh, future, what can we expect from Mike? Obviously, Monday, Mailbag. I heard that you were writing a book maybe too. Do you want to? uh, Yeah, I'm in the process of doing that. Yeah, the process of doing that. Um, I got got three writers that I'm going to get in touch with. Uh, One of them is with Jim Ross, and I'm going to get in touch with him. And um a couple other guys so i i finally got you know i just moved to tampa like four years ago mm. um but uh, nice. i got everything all my schedules from the 80s and 90s and old school pictures and all the stuff that i wanted to get together in boxes so i could just give it to a writer give it you know and i'm in a process of starting on that uh, doing a lot of signings and stuff like that i pick and choose to where i want to do some matches and stuff like that like you know, and it's nice to be called upon, like with Rick Flair's last match. Rick called me. I just yeah. ran into him in Tampa a couple of weeks ago downtown because he had a he had an interview with uh, Chris Van Vliet and Hogan. At, he had one at ten in the morning, and Hogan had one at two p.m. And then I had my interview with Chris Van Vliet that same day at five thirty. So I got together with Rick, me, and my wife. We were hanging out, having a good time, but just doing signings and doing a lot That's of great. things. Hopefully. Um, you know, I'd like to go go back. You know, if I if WWE ever called me to come back and do some training in NXT or anything like that, or training referees, and you know, there's certain matches that I would do too. Still, I still got a few good years left to me, but just doing a lot of virtuals, podcast, traveling, doing yeah. virtuals. I do virtuals in the UK from home. Uh, signings. They go out and do. I got a couple signings coming up this month. I got another. I got actually be in New um, Newark on the third for virtual, okay for a Facebook virtual and signing uh, at the Hilton Hotel November fourth. That is on Saturday. So nice. I got that coming up with another couple other signings. So that's why I've been just keeping busy. That's it. Keeping pretty busy. Not bad. Oh, that's great. I love to see it. And uh, well, as I said, winding it down, thank you both so much. This has been really fun. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to do it again, too, part two yeah, down the road. You got it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot more stories. A lot more stories in this room. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> Not short of them. Rewind, recap, relive. For over 50 episodes, the revolutionary force in wrestling interviews.